at any cost, at uh, any expense, uh, just throw meat in front lines and etc. And they honestly consider this as a very good approach and, and something to be very proud of. That. That's why uh, there, I totally agree there, there, there will not be any protests, like white widespread protests from, from soldier family members, etc. etc. They understand and they consider it a very good approach. It, it works. It worked for them, and, 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 and they use this. Uh, we, we can repeat it. Uh, so they are going for them. And, uh, with 30,000 losses is like nothing for them. So yeah, totally agree. It will, it will be not. Uh, it will be very long process, and it will be without the end. Thank you. And, and just to clarify, right, Yanis, when you said. Uh, the Russians say we can repeat it. They mean get back to Berlin, right? Just to, to be for to be clear to for everyone. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, and and yeah, uh, two quotes. Uh, I I heard. I do not know either it's uh, true or not. But uh, like Putin once say to some interviews, he was asked where the Russian borders and 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 and, 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 and she uh, he, he sorry, some someone is. Speaking in background, so basically he told that uh, there is no borders for Russia. Yeah, and at the very least, they are wherever uh, they were back in the imperial days, at the height of expansion, right? Um, MP, thanks, Roman, and uh, thanks everybody listening. Absolutely, you know, a little bit going back to Russian rhetoric, it's uh, it's about you know what they mechanized brigades, you know, have achieved you know, back to the Berlin, etc. So, thing, thing with Russians is, you know, when they have this, you know, headquarter flags of some, some NMR, they, they use this kind of, you know, propaganda, propaganda tools, and uh, many of them, they do have it. So, that's, that's kind of why, why they say to back to the Berlin, you know, they have this, uh, they have conquered to have you know defeated defeated uh, Vermont and that's that's why they say it. We we the Finland we actually have a couple of a couple of you know uh, divisions we killed actually in the Rotten Tier. Sadly they were Ukrainian divisions we still have the headquarters flags in in, in our war museum and this is pretty much the right to apply you know, back to Berlin, that's, that's a saying of the So, thanks, guys. Thanks, MP. Uh, August? Yeah, and to extend the thought, it seems like there's a, a lot of people that are in agreement with me that Russia just has to be crushed, is that after that happens, I hope that we're not going to be overly generous in helping them rebuild, lifting sanctions. That's a concern I have because we always want to be quote unquote, humane in our behaviors. But I think that that whole civilization just really needs to be decimated. And they they feel the pain of their actions, not only in um, in hopes that in future generations, it's probably not going to happen in our lifetime that they could ever sort of restore that culture. But if as a minimum, a warning to not only them, but to other countries, if 
they're going to um, go out and uh, invade other 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 territories that there's going to be consequences more than losing the war. And I think that's where we've gone wrong sometimes historically is we're a little too generous in trying to be tolerant and helping rebuild. And I think we really need to make a, a final model out of Russia so that we can just stop this ridiculous um, concept that any country in a modern era, era can go and commit genocide in another country. Thanks, August. And uh, I, I think you're, you're right, obviously, uh, but I think that maybe, just maybe there are some positive signs in this respect, right? Um, for a start, Lavrov actually quit the G20 summit because um, nobody would take photos with him, nobody would sit at dinner with him, and you know, he just packed up and left uh, earlier today. And I, I think that is probably, maybe, just a little bit of a sign that something might be changing in the long run. Um, and that uh, various politicians in the West will stop once and for all uh, assuming that Russia is a normal country. Uh, Raver. A slight uh, change in topic, but kind of related. Uh, related. Is there anybody here who is a Russian speaker who watched uh, Putin's speech uh, on uh, we haven't even begun to fight yet, uh, whole thing, Churchill impersonator because he looked like an angry red tomato and I would like to know if that was makeup, lighting, agitation or high blood pressure. Agitation. Um, Axel, I don't know if everything came through but I heard the first two syllables of agitation and that and nothing after that. Okay, maybe Axel's having some technical difficulties. Um, Raver, I didn't actually watch that because um, I, I stopped listening to Putin a while ago uh, for you know reasons of maintaining my sanity and, and the like. Uh, let's go to Puppy, but anybody who might have, just, you know, jump up and, and maybe uh, Raver, you can, can discuss it more. Puppy. I think you're, you may be breaking up right now, unless it is just for me, Roman. Oh, God. Uh, let me fix that. Carry on, Puppy. Puppy? Mic check. Has a Roman been silent, yeah, or no, is it just puppy, for me? Puppy. Yeah, it's been all been silent. Oh. Puppy, go ahead. All right. So, I am um, going to go for a Slightly hot take and playing a devil's advocate a little bit. So um, I agree with the eighty-five percent or more of the with the consensus that has emerged in the last ten minutes about uh, Russia. So let me say first where uh, where I fully agree and uh, where I uh, tend to have a, a little bit of a different view, perhaps. And I would gently push back. So I agree that uh, Russia is not a normal country, right? In 2022, it's not a normal country, and it has to be crushed militarily, and it has to lose uh, as much as possible in Ukraine, and that's the only way forward for the sake of, uh, you know, liberal democracies around the world. I agree that, unfortunately, for what we know, a large, vast majority of uh, the current Russian population supports uh, the current regime and probably even the war. It's difficult to tell because, you know, uh, polls are not as reliable in an in a, uh, autocracy as they are elsewhere. I agree that we should not be overly generous because being overly generous even after this, this is done would, uh, you know, give the wrong signals. Etc. 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 Where I lose a little bit the consensus is um, the idea that I hear some sometimes uh, voiced uh, that 
sounds a little bit like Russia will never be a normal country, right? Here, I, I, while again, let me just recap again on, on, on where I agree. I agree that the history of Russia is, uh, uh, well, it never had uh, democracy, it never had uh, even a semblance of democracy in its history. I would also point out though that uh, democracy, so the way we are thinking uh, uh, in the modern world of democracies, is uh, a concept that is uh, you know, barely two centuries old. Uh, and uh, uh, the oldest democracy currently on this planet is a little bit more than a couple of centuries old, and uh, it was uh, uh, obviously a very flawed democracy, not an inclusive democracy. And uh, the modern idea of inclusive democracy, where everybody has uh, the right to participation, is barely a hundred years old. So we are here still in the process to collectively build uh, this uh, uh, idea, and uh, Russia is behind. There is no question about it. And there is no question that the culture is behind too. And there is no question that the population at large supports an imperialist view. Said this, we have examples in history of populations and countries that have got better, even in some cases quite fast. I mean, unless you are very generous about the Weimar Republic, uh, Germany never had a real democracy in, uh, you know, after, before the, the end of World War II, nor Italy had one. And uh, if you, you know, uh, if you discount, uh, you know, a couple of uh, the usable suspects, uh, UK, uh, US with all its flows, it is still a very recent phenomenon if you look at this from a long-term perspective. So I would... Uh, caution against thinking, uh, yeah, this is a, a long-term undeniable piece of destiny that uh, a significant number of the human beings in this planet uh, will never be part of the community of nations. It's, uh, I, I feel a little bit uneasy to ha even have this very conversation right now. Why? Because it's not the time of this conversation. It's, like, it's a little bit like uh, talking, uh, you know, inside the... Uh, uh, concentration camp uh, during uh, uh, the Holocaust uh, to people and uh, saying, "Hey, Germans, one day will, they will they will be they will be like like normal people." Yeah, I I understand that. Uh, so I put uh, all sort of caveats and all sort of frame. I don't want this to, be, to become a, a large topic of conversation. Still, I cannot feel uh, like putting a little bit of caution when you're saying, hey, it will never happen. Not the right time now probably to have this conversation, but uh, still not the right time to think uh, uh, there is uh, something in the milk or in the genetics uh, to, that prevents uh, uh, 100 plus million people to ever become you know, part of the community of nations. That was my take. Thank you. Um, thanks, Bobby. Um I'll, I'll put it maybe this way. Maybe maybe we can maybe we can come together on this and say let, let's not talk about never. Fine, I, I concur. Um, let's say it's it's something that will or would take a generation, right? Um, and maybe let's instead of looking in the future, look in the past and say, well, the the consensus among Western and by Western I mean you know, old Europe and North America, um, the, the consensus in these, these old Western politics 
uh, was wrong over the past 20, 30 years and was wrong in assuming that Russia is a normal country or approximates a normal country. Um, Absolutely, yes. I, I, I know, I know, I know we agree on this. And I, I, I know we do. And let, let's just say that it takes a long time and we, we see ample evidence for this now that Russia is currently nowhere near a normal country. And let's just say that it will take a very long time and a lot of effort and a lot of luck and a lot of fortune, let's say, um, for Russia to turn from what it is now into a normal country. And maybe it's not a never, but it's certainly not something, it's certainly not a process that can happen in the matter of a few years, you know, two years, five years, 10 years. It's a generational process as opposed, as opposed to a anything that could be achieved in the short or medium term. And therefore, right, therefore, it's not convenient or, or practicable. Um, and indeed, it's ill-advised to be making any assumptions uh, that, would, that would, as a prerequisite, require Russia to be a normal country. Sorry. 100%. Uh, the way you phrase it, uh, I could totally agree with that. Yeah. That was easy, eh, Domen? Very easy. Excellent. Excellent. I, 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 like, to, uh, I like to reach agreement um, with, uh, with people around here. Absolutely. Um, and no, I, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. It, it's good to, to avoid overly absolutist language, right? Uh, and at the same time, add that little bit of nuance as is necessary. Uh, but, but at the same time, keep very much in the forefront of our mind's eye, of our collective mind's eye, um, you know, the very practicable uh, questions and, and, and how things can actually be applied uh, in, in the end. By the way, earlier there was some discussion on the number of, um, of, of uh, Russian casualties and uh, trackers of Russian casualties in, in Ukraine, um, especially in, in, the, in terms of uh, the familiarity of uh, their families and, and their communities um, on the over-representation of certain ethnic minorities and certain geographies um, among the, the Russian casualties. Um, there are apparently a couple of telegram channels that track uh, Russian funerals uh, and um, I'm guessing also obituaries uh, to kind of get a, a better grasp of that. And I think this is what actually a lot of these studies are based on studies that evidence the much higher rate of casualties from places like Tuva, Buryatia, Dagestan, uh, compared to the primarily Russian ethnic and richer areas such as uh, Moscow and St. Petersburg, uh, as someone, someone was asking earlier. And this might be a bit of a clarification, additional information and clarification uh, for those who were considering this earlier and asking about this earlier. Um, Papi, I have a question for you. Um, you know, the, the G20 summit is currently going on in Indonesia and Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister of Russia, walked out because uh, nobody would take a picture with him um, and you know, they, they wouldn't let him in the group picture at the summit and also nobody would uh, talk to him at dinner. Uh, so, and actually the G7 ministers actually walked out among them. I'm guessing your, your foreign minister, probably the Italian foreign minister, uh, walked out and wouldn't even uh, be at dinner that uh, Lavrov was at. Um, how significant do you think this is? Because G20 is a very large organization, right, that combines, as the name would suggest, the largest 20 economies in the world. To be frank with you, I am even slightly shocked that uh, Lavrov is allowed to be at the, at the G20 uh, altogether. So the fact that uh, he's... Uh, 
so I, here I am the one who is the most more extremist, I guess. So um, the fact that uh, he is uh, not uh, having a photo ops with the, the other elite guys is uh, frankly the very bare minimum that they would expect. expect. So that is uh, significant, uh, but uh, uh, not surprising at all. Uh, anything else uh, would be a shame in my eyes. Would you disagree? Well, I'll, I'll disagree on the on the on the question which way it's better, right? Whether it would have been better that he wouldn't even have been allowed to attend, or whether this is better because I I quite appreciate, let's say, the the public humiliation that he had to suffer um, as a consequence. You know, if if you were outright banned fine, but I think this makes a little bit more of a statement, right? And all of these, um, you know, various high-ranking politicians from various other important countries um, making very strong statements, uh, strong published statements because of it that they wouldn't be making otherwise of, you know, um, how, how Russia is uh, still claiming that it's not even engaged in war and how they haven't invaded anyone and how what 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 uh, pile of utter nonsense that is, and I think that's um, I think it's pretty good in in that respect that that is uh, actually being uh, done. Let me make a couple of comments on this, if I may. So uh, first of all, I am uh, overall uh, in favor of uh, keeping open channels of uh, diplomacy with whoever, like even the devil. That is a, a good thing. It is a good thing because. Uh, Having back channels has been proven throughout the history as the you know, the right way to get better. But one thing is having a back channel, and one th like you know having uh, someone that talks with uh, someone else behind the scenes, uh, having military contacts. This is uh, all for the good of everybody. The other thing is having a top level diplomacy at work. So you don't want to give the opportunity to you know. Uh, evil actors uh, to be seen uh, in the uh, community of respectable nations. Uh, and uh, uh, I think that we agree on that. Uh, I would not be so sure that the humiliation of uh, being there and shunned is uh, from a messaging point of view, from an overall appearance point of view throughout for, for, for the world is um, a better solution that, than, uh, you know, not having them at all. And uh, frankly, if I were to choose, uh, I would probably, it's, it's debatable, but uh, I would say that uh, not having uh, um, any Russian representatives uh, at the top level, of course, even always uh, saving those back channels that I have mentioned. Those are critical for, uh, you know, a number of reasons, including uh, military reasons. But uh, the top level, uh, even if it is at you know at Lavrov top level, which is pretty much close to the top level, I, I would probably go for yeah complete isolation right now. Uh, it's a better way. So I'm I'm looking at it a little bit through the through the lens of what we were talking yesterday uh, with Spring, I think, uh, about about you know the context of the BRICS and and how the BRICS play into it, right? So let's say these. Uh, large emerging um, So he was invited, Lavrov was invited to, Indone to, to the G20 summit by the hosts, by Indonesia, right? So not, not the BRICS economy, but one of these, let's say, emerging, emerging economies. Uh, very, very large, very populous country, 200 odd million people, if memory serves. Um, so I think in this context, right, it, I, I think it's, it's, in a sense, it's good because it, 
he was the one that quit, right? He was the one that quit in humiliation. And I think that this plays better, um, you know, in, in, in favor of uh, the, the, the free world, the free democratic world, um, uh, in these emerging economies, such as the BRICS nations and other ones in the similar position, such as Indonesia, uh, than it would had he just been banned from the summit from the start, right? Um, this kind of, th this makes Russia feel less powerful, right? Because they had to quit, because he couldn't take the heat. Um, at least at least that's how, how I'd look at it. Um, MP, what do you reckon? Thanks, Dominic. It was very good comment, actually. Actually, I used to work for foreign office as, as well, so you know, Mr. Lavrov will see him nowadays. He's not very welcome. There's a ways to make make that, you know, he's not very welcome, you know, older kind of dinners and, you know, what he's been served. So he will definitely see that, you know, what, what is the pressure coming out of the Western, Western nations. I, I can mention a couple of other things that, you know, he will see. So, so you know, somebody is not welcome to the different diplomatic, uh, you know, community. They will make make you know. There's nobody counterpart, you know, eating with you and you are served with city food and city wine. This is possible. Great, thanks. Thank you, MP. Uh, Papi. So, a couple of things. Uh, um... The first is, uh, yeah, you're seeing uh, this uh, domain from the perspective of uh, the messaging as uh, it is, uh, you know, reported on uh, Western media, right? So the Western media might actually uh, describe appropriately this as being an humiliation. However, there is a... a whole bunch of the world that uh, is uh, not uh, does not uh, read uh, the western media and the BRICS in particular you know uh, the way they can present uh, Lavrov uh, even if it is just uh, you know a missed photo op but uh, still the fact that he is there is uh, to my my view uh, a message that can be interpreted as uh, yeah Russia is still part of the, the community of nations and the fact that he had to leave because he was humiliated in this type of media might be perceived differently and might be discounted as a footnote that's the first consideration the second no, consideration no, no, Monsieur. no Monsieur. you're totally wrong with diplomatic spare i hope so there, hope so. total total conduct guideline Lavrov is not welcome to any kind of this kind of diplomatic negotiation. Oh, but I agree with you that uh, it is uh, not welcome, MP. I'm just uh, talking about, uh, uh, I mean, I think the one thing that we all agree is that uh, uh, Lavrov should not be welcome. The only thing that we are pretty much uh, having on the table here is uh, whether we humiliate uh, him more, but not letting uh, him come or if we are humiliating him more by having him come and letting him, you know, uh, go away. So that's the, 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 the only, the only, the only, yeah, the only yeah, question mark. If, 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 you think, if you think otherwise, you know, their troops are raping, raping people, killing civilians. 
he has no no room any for for diplomatic discussion. You know, we sort of put we sort of put right. You sort of put it right. They have no room in the diplomatic community anymore. This Russian government has no room anywhere. Okay. Andy, I 100% agree. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sergey Lavrov should be shot like the ex-prime minister of the, uh, you know, the Japan was shot. This guy, you know, need to go down. Okay, uh, it was not clear enough. So let me try to be more clear. I think uh, Russia should be humiliated on the global stage, and Lavrov, as a top representative of Russia, should be humiliated on the world stage. The question is, are you humiliating him more by excluding him? As I think, I think he should be excluded, frankly. Domen is making the argument, maybe we are humiliating him more by letting him come and face the fact that nobody wants to even have a picture with him. That's the only thing that is in question, MP. We all agree that he should be humiliated. Yeah, yeah but look about people who were butchered in the butcher, for example. You wanna you wanna have somebody you know representing in that kind of state. Russia must be withdrawn. That's my point. Yeah I, I think MP I think we all agree on that. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Papi does I do um, you do obviously because you just said it. Um, so the, the the only thing the only thing little point of nuance I want to illustrate is right when he quit on the G twenty summit Right. Remember who all stayed behind. The representatives from China stayed, stayed there, the ones from India stayed there, the ones from Brazil were still there, the ones from South Africa were still there. What does that mean? Right? It, it means that it, it, it quite clearly looks like that those countries, despite of all of the, you know, the, the BRICS expansion talk that uh, we heard uh, from Russia and from Brazil over the last, uh, uh, over the last few days, Right. Despite that, there seemed to be an, it looks like some sort of fracturing between Russia and these other you know, allies of Russia, economic allies of Russia, the very least around the world. And I think that is why this is a, this is a positive message, right? If, if he were banned from the summit from the start, that would be presented and look more like, oh, see, it's, it's these big, it's this, all of these big Western countries, um, US, various European economies, Japan, and the like, um, pushing Russia out. But this, I think, is a lot more meaningful because it doesn't look like the doing of just, you know, the US and, and the, the Western allies alone. It looks a lot more like um, a collective act and a collective um, dismissal by not just the West, but also all of these other countries, you know, who stayed at the summit when Lavrov left, right? Not, nobody took a picture with Lavrov because he wasn't in the group photo, right? He's missing from the group photo. Um, I, I think that that has a little bit of meaning and that specific has a little bit of meaning in these countries that Russia has been very actively courting, right? Uh, be that India, be that... Did he, did he Domen? Yes. Did he get a participation medal? Um, well, no, he got a 45-minute press conference on his uh, departure. Pity, pity. Hope, no hope somebody, uh, you know, threw some participation medals in his jet engines on departure for good luck. Such a pity that this jet arrives where it goes. Yeah, alas. Sorry, puppy, please. Yeah, I'm thinking, uh, 
I've been to the G20 and all I got was this lousy T-shirt without a photo op, but okay, fine. I, I wanted to just make my uh, second point. Uh, you could agree. I, I think that you could convince me, Axel and uh, Domen, that maybe it was a good idea to have him there and humiliated. The second point, however, that I wanted to make is the following. Uh, um, that there are essentially two values in those uh, um, super high-profile uh, meetings. Um, one uh, is... Uh, you know, the photo ops and everything that has been agreed in advance uh, by the Sherpas and, uh, you know, people are just, just, just there to essentially agree on what was agreed a long time before and highly choreographed. And that's one thing. There, there is a second value. And the second value is uh, the uh, side conversations, right? That uh, typically happen uh, between the meetings and that people are like uh, uh, having at the highest level. Uh, uh, between, uh, you know, in the corridors. And uh, uh, it gives uh, some opportunity for uh, not only Lavrov himself, uh, but also the team that is accompanying him to talk uh, directly to other people. And uh, it uh, essentially fails uh, to create uh, um, complete uh, isolation that I would... Uh, personally argue that is at this point uh, beneficial and uh, it creates uh, some paths uh, to better communicate not that the communication channels are completely shut off anyways with those countries of course uh, you know uh, but still it increases the opportunities for such networking and this is something that uh, I think it is currently not beneficial on the world stage in 2022. That was my point. Thank you. Thank you, Papi. No, I, I, you see, I, 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 I concur. And before the G20 summit, I was very dismayed uh, that, that he was going to be, you know, going to be a part of it, right? Um, and I was kind of dismayed that uh, Putin, honestly, I was honestly kind of dismayed that Putin wasn't going because, you know, maybe he could have had an accident. Um, you know, hot weather not being his thing and the like. Um, but the, just the specific way it turned out, just the specific way it turned out where, you know, everybody else stayed and he took his ball and went home. I, I, I quite appreciate the aesthetics of the specific way that it turned out in the end, if you, if you see where I'm going. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I certainly agreed with that completely before the G20 summit kicked off. So as if, you know, had we had this conversation two days ago, I would be in complete agreement with you saying, oh, you know, it's not very good that he's going. Um, it shows that there's a significant rift between, um, what should we say, uh, between uh, the, the, the free world and the, these emerging economies that still kind of want Russia as a part of their club, right? Um, but just the way that he left and, you know, nobody, nobody really said anything about how much they, they miss him now and how much they wish that he hadn't left. At least not, nothing that I have seen. And I kind of looked into it. Um, I, I think that specific way that it turned out is, is a, possibly a kind of a good thing um, because it, it kept, you know, the, the, the Western powers in, in the room together with all of these emerging economies while, uh, Lavrov sulked off, and I think I think that's that that's a good aesthetic to be quite happy with, really. Yeah, I think we have exhausted the topic. Uh, I agree uh, that uh, there might be a good argument for that. So that, that is a, a reasonable one. 
No, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. So never allow Lavrov to come to any kind of meeting. He's a fucking war criminal. I, I think MP. I think uh, if you organize the meeting in the Hague, you might be happy to invite him. I, I will actually. I tweeted that already. You know, next next meeting, let's have it in the house or Hague. Yeah, exactly. No, that is that is correct. That is the only international meeting, high-level international meeting that you should be invited invited to. Uh, that that one, I completely agree with. Uh, that that should indeed be the next one. Uh, I think a, a, a larger Russian delegate uh, preferred compared to the one that they sent in Indonesia. You know, lots of people. Um, Axel, um, do you reckon there could be any truth to the speculation on parts of Ukrainian uh, Twitter sphere? Uh, there might be another Bayraktar, a uh, larger Bayraktar, making an appearance in Ukraine sometime? Well, I definitely think there's a different drone in play, whether that is a Turkish drone or from a different nation. That's a different point. But there's, a different, there's certainly different drone capacity. So something considerably larger than a Bayraktar with, you know, with a similar role, but much greater capabilities, more, bigger payload, more, more, more missiles. Yeah, higher altitude. And how much of a difference would something like that make on the on the battlefield? Um, what 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 would such a say Reaper drone or an Akinchi uh, give Ukrainians that they don't already have? Well, it has a different explosive capacity. You can take out different targets. You can loiter. Um, which with other missile systems you obviously cannot, or hardly. Um, and um, therefore you have a lot more flexibility. You can uh, supervise moving targets and uh, take them out as you see fit. Um, yeah, uh, it's very specific. And uh, still, um, if you manage to escape the air defense systems and not collide with Russian aircraft, you have a very decent uh, punch power, which simply adds more precision to some of the strikes the Ukrainians will have to do deeper behind the line. And that combined with the somewhat increased activity of the Ukrainian Air Force, right, as well as the long-range artillery, um, all of that together really makes life a lot more difficult for, uh, for the Russian occupier. Force, force, great fire. That's a that's a word of the day. Absolutely. Then all my friend. The problem with the <clears throat> the high flying drones and those big drones is uh yeah, okay, you can you can go up to, you know, forty, forty five thousand feet and uh fly over a lot of the smaller air defense, uh and uh some of your smaller uh even missile defense. Uh but now you're getting into the into the book territory. And, uh, you know, a lot of these drones are slow and uh, they're, they're sitting, sitting targets. Uh, it depends on what kind of electronic warfare package, because the bigger ones will have an electronic warfare package on them. Yeah. Uh, so they, uh, you know, they, they, will, uh, they will be able to, uh, you know, deliver their payload on target. Who's speaking of Walter Report now? Battlemus. Battlemus. Okay. Battlemus, what is your understanding about S three hundred capability? I, I got a, I got a pretty good uh pretty good uh, capability. I used to work for NORAD. Yeah, yeah. Uh, tell tell me about uh, you know fighting aircraft against S three hundred. How much is the range? 
It depends. Like the the S300. No, 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 is... no, 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 There's one one number. I know there's numbers. So well, the it it depends because the the S300 being no. as long in the tooth as it is, no, uh, no. its kill envelope uh, gets narrower the longer you go out, right? Uh, how, how much how much you can kill envelope before you you understand? I, I don't understand what you're what you're asking. There there's way too so, much so, noise so, in the background. Yeah, yeah. What what is the maximum kill, kill envelope in your understanding with S three hundred? Oh, the the S three hundred would kill any any drone out there if it could get a lock. Yeah, but what what range? What range? Adamus, what what do you reckon the max range of that of, of that is? Yeah, I'm gonna ask that. I'm looking that up right now because I don't know it off the top of my head. You, 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 you don't need to look it up. So I, I will tell you. So passenger plane who's not fighting flag back is uh, 300 kilometers to S300. Fighter aircraft, which can change plane, you know, shift different different altitudes, etc. to 30 kilometers. So that's that's how it goes. S400, 400 kilometers. Passenger plane coming coming to you, 40 kilometers. Fighter aircraft who fights against this target, you know, with, with electronic warfare, you know, flares, all that shit. You know, only 40. That's uh, that's what we have actually in the number. And how how is this germane to the the, the drones? Uh... Like I, I understand that uh, the S300s, S400s are a definite threat against drones. I wasn't talking about that. No, no, I was talking about the fighter. Kind of, you know, fight. Oh, I was not talking about fighter aircraft at all. Yes. Okay. So always uh, S300 is always 30 kilometers. You know, if the aircraft flies back, even even you know, big 29. SU-27 kind of fight back and drones, you know, without any kind of electronic warfare like Pyraktar uh, doesn't have any. So you can shoot it down really easy. But this is, a, this is a pretty much a parameter, you know. Yeah, but, uh, you know, an S-300, S-400 would be pretty hard-pressed to get a lock on any kind of fighter that's flying in the ditch. You you look at those frog foots and you know some some of them are like you know fifteen feet off the ground. You're not locking them up with anything other than a man pad. Sorry about that. Back to you, Dolan. No, thank you, Batum. I I really enjoyed this discussion uh, between uh, between MP and yourself. <laughs> can can I ask one? What did Batum say about S three hundred system? You were mentioning man pad. Uh... Oh, so he was saying that the the SU-25s are flying so close to the ground a lot of the time, on 50 feet off the ground, that you can't even use an S-300 against them because they're too low down. And that it's really down to a man pad only to uh, to take them down. You use, you use ICLA, right? ICLA, you know. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, ICLA, man pads or, or something similar. Yeah. That's what, so you... you don't worry, you guys. You guys agree on this. No, no worries about that. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is the water report. It's currently seventeen seventeen in Central Europe, eighteen uh, quarter past six p.m. in uh, Ukraine, uh, quarter past four p.m. in the UK, 
and it's early afternoon on is it no it's not this is still morning goodness it's still morning across north america in about 43 minutes time uh we will have a member of a representative of the international legion in ukraine joining us here on this space uh so we're very much looking forward to that and i hope you are likewise um in the meantime anybody who'd like to jump up uh, ask a question make a comment uh, just click that request button in the bottom left corner of your screen and if you would all be so kind as to share and retweet the space click that either purple or white stadium in the bottom right corner of your screen or uh, the share button somewhere up top to the left of the leave button don't click the leave button obviously um or maybe there's a quill somewhere it's been very confusing the last few the last few days with the various updates and various versions of twitter floating around uh, and especially different depending on what operating system you're using uh, so anybody wants to jump up um, and maybe reach a new topic um, or maybe comment further on this one uh, just take that request button in the bottom left corner of your screen uh, by way of a short reminder as well uh, we are here to support MariaAid.org. Uh, MariaAid, a fantastic charity organization uh, run by, among other, the most recent uh, commanding officer of Operation Unifier, Canadian Armed Forces Training Mission to Ukraine, uh, Colonel Melanie Lake. And if you want to see one of the most recent achievements of MariaAid, uh, there's a tweet by Colonel Lake up in the nest above uh, from MariaAid, his provided 10 Fury drones. These are vertical takeoff and landing uh, fixed wing drones. And there has been uh, the, the training for which has been conducted over the course of past week in Ukraine, um, and which are now already in theater, in service, overflying Ukrainian, uh, sorry, overflying Russian front lines and making sure that Ukrainian reconnaissance units don't have to go breach those same lines themselves, thus saving Ukrainian lives. Papi. Since there is a little bit of a law, I was uh, wondering uh, if I maybe could get uh, your opinion on uh, yesterday's Lukashenko's uh, uh, statements um, that uh, sound a little bit uh, not uh, completely in tune with uh, his uh, previous uh, statements. As reported by Belarusian media, he said that he wants to keep sovereignty and independence of Belarus from Russia because those are sacred things. Uh, difficult to tell what is behind that, but it certainly sounds a little bit of distancing from the previous statements that uh, he made uh, that uh, were typically you know uh, all about uh, integrating uh, with the uh, um, russian friends so if you have an opinion about that i would uh, very much uh, be uh, appreciative of your take on that thank you papi i think that's very interesting um so Lukashenko has been obviously around longer than Putin has, right? Lukashenko has been running Belarus for longer than Putin has been running Russia. That's a, that's a factor people often seem to be forgetting. Um, furthermore, Lukashenko has spent much of the past well, almost 30 years while, while running Belarus, uh, very much stressing, um, stressing his capacity to keep 
peace in Belarus, right? One of the major points of the Belarusian propaganda for domestic consumption, and whereby it differs from the Russian propaganda for domestic consumption, is a much more uh, strongly pacifist streak, so to say, right? Um, Lukashenko's domestic propaganda machine is very much centered around look at how awful they have it in the West, look at all these riots, look at all these protests. Isn't it wonderful that we live in this little, peaceful, calm, uh, riot-free, um, you know, clean, clean parks, clean streets country that we have here in Belarus? And whatever else might be going on, it is how it is. But, but at the end of the day, right, the, the stressing of this very um, uh, peaceful, stable society and country that Lukashenko has created in, in Belarus. Obviously, I think that's kind of, that, that kind of bit back at him when uh, Putin was trying to make him send lots of Belarusian troops into Ukraine because nobody wanted to go and there was no, no support for any military action whatsoever within Belarus, right? both within the public uh, more broadly as well as within the Belarusian armed forces. Um, but also now, now, that, um, uh, now that the Russian invasion of Ukraine is not going well at all, um, I think that Putin lost a lot of prestige in the eyes of Lukashenko. Now, Lukashenko goes around pretending he's a bumbling idiot. He's not a, you know, a total numbskull, uh, so to speak. Um, he's not this... Um, I don't even know how to describe it. Anyway, he, he's, he's, some, he's something of a relatively smart guy still, right? He's somewhat relatively able still. And... I think he's realizing ever more that you know maybe Putin isn't all that that's made out to, that, that he's made out to be. Um, now that Kazakhstan has left the Commonwealth of Independent States and might be on its way on its way to quitting the Eurasian Economic Association, Eurasian Economic Union, whatever it's supposed to be, right? Um, maybe Lukashenko is having sort of second thoughts about how important. Russia really is, or rather how important Russia really will be a few years down the road. And maybe, just maybe, his own way to save himself within Belarus, uh, and to save his his own future within Belarus, maybe next time around it's not going to be being closer with Russia, maybe next time around it's going to be him uh, being more distant from Russia, right? And maybe Russia simply won't be that strong anymore. I'm not, I'm not sure, um, but, but more so than what's going on in Belarus, What's going on in Kazakhstan is really piquing my interest, right? Uh, it is, to me, it's fascinating um, just how far Tokayev has distanced himself from Putin, um, whose forces effectively saved his own skin, that is Tokayev's skin, only a matter of months ago, right? And yet Kazakhstan, well, Tokayev, you know, in St. Petersburg, sitting um, a few feet away from Putin, basically said, no, I'm not recognizing any of those fake republics that you, Putin, has created in eastern Ukraine or the ones that you created in Georgia, um, that that's territory of Ukraine uh, and Georgia, respectively. Um, you know, we, we won't, uh, we, will, we will abide by Western sanctions because we don't want secondary sanctions put onto us. Uh, and now he even said, you know, we're quitting your Commonwealth of Independent States. And all that Russia could do in return is close the pipeline access uh, for Kazakhstan uh, for that pipeline that ends in Novorossiysk on the Black Sea that Kazakhstan used to export its oil uh, through. Um, but, but really, you know, I, I think Kazakhstan is really taking the opportunity of, 
a weakened Russia and a, a Russia preoccupied in Ukraine already and simply being unable to do anything about it in, in Kazakhstan right now. Um, Spring, what do you think? Oh, hi everyone. I was thinking um, exactly as you think and as Bertrand put it. I think uh, Lukashenko is uh, actually starting to play strategic. So probably the things are even worse than we think to Russia. So just uh, want to drop away before it's too late. And Kazakhstan, I think, it has been getting in a line of slowly separation further and further away from Russia without uh, um, big steps, but important steps each time because uh, they don't do it, uh, let's cut everything. But slowly, I think they are getting out of the, or trying to get out of the sphere of influence of Russia. You are saying that uh, Lukashenko is uh, trying, just to be sure that uh, let's know what you said, that, that Lukashenko might be trying to get out of the sphere of influence of Russia? That's what you say, Spring? Yes, I, I, it, I have been, um, I, I have several friends that are original from Belarus, Belarus and Lukashenko is a survivor. So he has been um, in power for, from the first election, first free election in uh, Belarus, as far as I remember, and he never lost power. So he kept himself in the power. So I think it's a kind of survivor. He will try everything that he can to to survive. Um, hopefully things are getting a lot worse for Russia than we might know, hopefully. I have a question for you, Springer. Who will uh, leave uh, uh, last, uh, Turkmenistan or Belarus? Yes. From the CIS? Yes. So you're saying Russia will leave before both Belarus and Turkmenistan? No, no idea. That I can't uh, guess. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if um, Turkmenistan will be living in the last place. And I wouldn't be completely surprised if Lukashenko start, suddenly started to change opinion about everything. What I know about Belarus is that it's a very corrupt state. I remember my friends telling me that they have to bribe everyone to get in the country and they they kept the nationality and uh, to get out the same thing. And uh, it was a bloody nightmare for them, especially because they were living in Sweden. So they were supposed to be the rich once visiting the relatives in the country, so they had to give uh, money to everyone. And they, it, it is a very poor country, actually, that people keep forgetting that. But Belarus is very poor. And, and there's no really you know, good fundamental reason why it has to be uh, poor, right? And, and why it has to be like that. Um, and the end of the day, you know, Be- Be- Belarus and is, isn't in that bad a position where it not... Uh, effectively kind of a, a secondary puppet state of Russia and uh, were not run by a dictator who is kind of stuck in the 1970s and 1980s still, right? Um, I mean, it has perfectly... If We're Belarus, a normal country, let's say, hypothetically, and I think we, it's easier for us to envisage uh, <laughs> to go to a previous conversation, Belarus becoming a normal country rather than, uh, you know, much more quickly than Russia, uh, seeing that they already have a uh, an, an elected government, uh, even though it's now in exile, right, Svetlana Tsikhanovskaya. Um, at the end of the day, I, I, 
you know, if, if Belarus were in a position where it could um, you know, join European integrations, I think Belarus would very quickly be a whole lot better off. Um, Papi? Of the uh, CIS states, I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, Belarus is the only one who actually had uh, hundreds of thousands of people on the street. Exactly, yeah, yeah, precisely. And, you know, those protests after the last election were truly brutally repressed, right? Um, the other thing I want to highlight is also there's the, the CSTO, the, the kind of the NATO counterweight that Russia launched a few years ago. Um, there's a question whether Kazakhstan is going to quit that as well. Actually, I imagine so, yeah. Um, I, I imagine Kazakhstan over the next few weeks is going to be quitting a whole lot of other uh, sort of Russian-based organizations um, and a CSTO among them, right? The, the, the Security Association, the Security Alliance. Um, I'd be very interested to see which one they're going to quit first, whether the CSTO or uh, the Eurasian Economic Union. Moldova is part of the CISO states, if I'm not wrong, right? That is a, an interesting one that uh, might be uh, an interesting one to ask about our Moldovian friends about. Yeah, you're right. They, they still are a part of the CIS. Um, I don't know what they're still doing there, uh, but I, I mean, they're, they're going to be quitting sooner or later, right? Because I have a hunch that being a part of the CIS and being a part of the European Union are mutually exclusive things. And as they pursue candidacy, uh, they won't be able to. Um, they 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 won't be able to uh, uh, maintain uh, membership in that. Uh, remember that Georgia previously quit, right? Uh, Georgia quit uh, following the uh, Russian invasion of Georgia in two thousand eight as well. Um, interestingly, Ukraine was technically one of the founding states of the CIS, right? All, all twelve. Uh, Soviet republics that were not that are not the Baltics um, were initially the founding members of it. But um, I, if I remember correctly, Ukraine never actually ratified uh, ratified the the, the founding yes. agreement, right? That's correct. Yes. So it was never actually a member in that respect. 